0: Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success.
1: Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Hire the Smile. I'm Mike Powell, and as usual, I am joined by Katie Arline. How are you, Katie?
0: Wonderful, Mike. How are you?
1: Good. Really good. It's summer's coming to an end, and where we are in Canada is like the hottest it's been for the whole year, so it's almost it to the point like I want summer to end.
0: It is a little underwatery feeling here right now, with the humidity for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see people on Zoom calls and their hair is like sticking out like a fright wig. And it's like, I know. <laughs> I was talking to somebody yesterday. It's like, what's wrong with your hair? She's like, humidity. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can empathize with that very uh, closely today, I must yeah, say. <laughs> yeah.
1: so, so Katie, I came across the business nerd geek that I am. Mm. Mm-hmm. The article is, uh, well, I'm going to rephrase it. ask the question. You're a manager for vet practice,
0: mm-hmm. something
1: that you've been and still do. What would have a bigger impact on the practice? A superstar employee, you know, that vet that just outproduces all the other vets or a technician that seems to do the work of two people in one person or that toxic employee, that employee that really has a negative impact on everybody around them?
0: Hmm, that's a really interesting question, because it depends on whether we're talking about a positive or a negative impact. (laughs) Mm. It does one cancel the other out. So, you know, there are things about obviously the superstars that are uh, positive and can really contribute to the bottom line and to the team. But on the flip side, the toxic employee can have such a negative effect on the practice as well. And I imagine that would have a serious financial consequence as well.
1: And I think that's basically to the crux of the question is, is that, you know, if we're, we're going to define it to the bottom line, we think of superstar employees, as I said, they just, they just do so much. They just, they bring in such a great revenue. In this article, they say a high performer can be four times as productive as average mm-hmm. workers, and they can generate 80% of the business profits and attract other employees But they're sort of that rarity because they're maybe between the top 3 to 20% of the company's workforce. So yeah, they're amazing. But according to this paper from the Harvard Business School, toxic workers actually have more of an impact on the business's bottom line than the star performer. Mm. And that's kind of interesting because I know we have worked before with practices where There have been superstars and there's been toxic employees. Sometimes they're the same thing. Yeah. But when we talk to practice managers or owners, the focus is on we need superstars. I want to hire this person. They're a superstar and they might be great people. So I don't want to confuse that just because they're a superstar, they're toxic. But it's sort of a discussion on are we paying attention to the right area? Mm Mm-hmm. So are we so focused on the superstars that we're not looking at these toxic employees that, you know, they do real damage that, you know, whether it's, they're going against company policy, they uh, workplace violence or fraud, you know, making other people quit, decreasing morale. We'll, we'll go into it. So basically what we're going to talk about today is toxic employees, conflicts in the workplace. So
0: yeah, sure.
1: All right. What I want to just say, because I think this is really interesting, just to start off our discussion. So in this study, this paper, they compared the cost of the toxic worker with the value of a superstar. And they said that avoiding a toxic employee can save a company more than twice as much as bringing on a star performer, Mm -hmm. which I thought was fascinating because you sort of have a gut instinct that these toxic employees are really have a negative influence on the company it's nice to have a quantified they had one survey that they said the cost of a bad hire could be between $25 to $50,000 mm-hmm. whereas the, like they said the top 1% of superstar employees in the study only added about 5300 to the bottom line mm-hmm. so it's quite a significant negative impact financially with these toxic employees
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, with a superstar employee uh, who is not also a toxic employee, they don't cost you extra money, they make you money, whereas the toxic employee, they they cost you money. I mean, not just through lost production, but just the amount of time that you take having to deal with them and the amount of time that they take away from other people doing their jobs. It's just such a that kind of cancerous type effect that we talk about can happen in cultures. These people are often the, the sort of epicenter of that.
1: Yep, 100%. -hmm.
0: Which is an excellent segue into the article that I'm talking about. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, we talked about toxic employees. We haven't necessarily defined what they are. Uh, So in this article from HR director called The Nine Traits of a Toxic Employee, I'll just run down some of these and maybe folks can think about whether any of these ring true for you. And Before I get into that, uh, I thought it was interesting to mention that when we talk about toxic employees, it's different than a difficult employee. So, you know, a toxic employee has an effect on, obviously, their own productivity, but on everybody else, and it's something that spreads, versus a difficult employee, it might not necessarily be negative, like it might just be the employee that challenges everything, you know, and they don't necessarily disrupt other people. So it's just a little nuance to think about when we're talking about these people.
1: So they're the ones that will challenge the boss authority because they want the company to be better versus one that's challenging authority and the company policies just because that's who they are.
0: Well, or it helps their end game. Like it's, it's personal right, for right them. Agenda. Like They're going to, yes, agenda, exactly.
1: Right.
0: So here are some traits of a toxic employee. Not speaking up at meetings, being very closed in and unresponsive, and I would add to that the people who don't say anything in a meeting, but you know they have a lot to say, and then they talk about it afterwards with everybody else. you're so like, "Well, that was a pile of B s. and you're like, well, why didn't we talk about this when we were in the meeting?" Right. So
1: So it's not the shy person or the introvert, it's the yeah, I'm not saying anything because I want to make the agenda about me afterwards.
0: Exactly, yeah, or be a victim right. or spread something right. or whatever. Right, right. So the the flip side of the not speaking up person is the prickly person, somebody who might send defensive emails, uh, and they copy way more people than are necessary. Luckily, we don't see this all that much. But definitely, I can think of examples where an email should have gone to a small group of people or one person. And instead, it's it gets copied to all users. And that just creates such a a shit show, for lack of, of a better term. It's a very
1: apt term. Everybody
0: gets pulled in. Is it in all caps? Like it's just not uh, an adult way to deal with things. And that defensiveness really shines there. Uh, third item is showing a general negative attitude and a lack of enthusiasm, especially in the team environment. So somebody who's sort of that a lead balloon in a team environment, the team's getting jazzed, the team's doing stuff. And then you have that Eeyore in the corner who uh, is not engaging. They're not being enthusiastic. They're not doing their part that they should be doing in the team. And again, different than somebody who's an introvert, who is maybe just not comfortable acting in a team and they need to warm up to it. This is somebody who's just being negative and lacking enthusiasm just because that's what they're doing.
1: You know, as you are saying these, I'm actually picturing people in my mind. I know, mind. me too. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, oh yeah,
0: oh yeah. We probably are thinking of some of the same people, but Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is, oh my gosh, this is such a brutal one for vet practices. So suddenly calling in sick at critical times, like during a company event or before an important meeting. So somebody who is causing disruption by not being there uh, or leaving other people high and dry. uh, That's a huge one. Blatantly refusing to carry out assigned tasks or obey reasonable orders. So insubordination, really uh gossiping, spreading malicious rumors or badmouthing colleagues or management. And this is such a huge one and that gossip yeah. piece is something that we see really often in practices. Uh, you know, that sort of high school rumor mill that gets going and it just creates a, a really toxic, uh sick type environment. Misbehaving or being disrespectful with colleagues, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, not taking responsibility and blaming others for their misdeeds. So I think this is a huge one. Somebody who gets sort of caught in something that they're up to, or, uh, you know, you come to them with a situation that's happened or with some feedback, and they want to know every little detail about the feedback, like who said it, you know, what was the situation, so that they can try and figure out a way that they aren't the ones that are culpable in that situation. It's like, oh, well, that was because of this, and that person did that. Uh, instead of saying, okay, well, this feedback is coming to me for a reason. I need to take responsibility. They're really just looking for ways to shunt that feedback. Being resistant to change and pushing back on new initiatives or ideas that will involve additional work or more involvement. This is huge, too. I mean, in vet practices in particular, where we have protocols that are like living beings, veterinary medicine is changing all the time. Protocols are changing. We're trying to do things more efficiently. But that being resistant to change, and uh, I know you as a practice owner have felt this in your own practice for sure, uh, where, you know, there are ideas. And it's, it's one thing to be resistant to change because you're worried about how it's going to affect you and you have real concerns about the planning or how it's going to be executed. But if you're resistant to it just because you don't want additional work or you don't want to be more involved in your job, that's a serious sign of a toxic employee for sure. And then the last one here is exhibiting behavior contrary to company's values or what's expected of employees. I think that's pretty self-explanatory as well. Uh, And again, underlines that need for having those pretty set in stone values and uh, core behaviors that go along with them so people understand how they're expected to act. You know, not everybody's values are going to align perfectly with a company's values, and that's fine. But if you're sort of on purpose shunning the values or moving against the values, then obviously that's, that's a different matter. Uh, So yeah, I, like you said, I think that we, we both can think of some people that fit, you know, some or all, or a few of these traits for sure.
1: As you're going down this list, uh, just uh, reminds me, and I, I'm sounding like a broken record because we have said this so often before, it really highlights the importance of hiring well, of having a good hiring mm-hmm. process, because a lot of this could be weeded out in the interview process. So it's almost like a preventable disease to a certain degree.
0: Totally. Yeah. I mean, you're not always going to know everything about everybody. And I think definitely since we've really tightened up and we've really brought this sort of way of of hiring, To people, it has made a difference, but sometimes you're still surprised. You know, somebody is, people are good actors and they can act one way for a month and then they flip a switch. Or, you know, once day 91 of their 90-day probation arrives, uh, then they totally turn into different people, but uh, definitely.
1: You know, before you go on to the next article, the article I started with, the it's better to avoid a toxic employee than hire a superstar. Mm -hmm. They sort of highlight four let's say personality, behavioral traits that they say, you know, is predictive of such behavior. And one I want to focus on, because we'll come back to it, I think a couple of times is, and I think the first two are pretty obvious, overconfident, Mm -hmm. self-centered narcissist type things, people that are highly productive. And the one that, which I was kind of stunned to read about it is rule following employees. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So
0: Yeah, that's very interesting.
1: These are the people that think rules should always be followed. Mm -hmm. And they say they're more likely to exhibit toxic behavior. So,
0: yeah. All right. So we talked about the traits of the toxic employee. So we'll talk now a bit about how to work with this type of person And for this, we drew into the well of our friends at HBR, Harvard Business Review, again, uh, for an article that's very recent, just came out last week called How to Work with Someone Who Creates Unnecessary Conflict. Uh, This is by Amanda Ripley, again, August 17th is when it came out. She basically talked to some researchers that looked at conflict in the workplace. So uh, when I talk about studies or articles that This is what it's from Uh, but she does talk about uh, some general things that happen with these toxic employees and one is we talk about again that definition between difficult and toxic and the toxic employees have that pattern of de-energizing frustrating putting down teammates so that the whole team suffers and this behavior can be difficult to deal with because they don't necessarily cross the line into clearly fireable offenses Or they're sort of sneaky enough or sly enough that they act a certain way with some people at the business and not others. So not everyone may agree that they're crossing lines. And we've definitely seen this, I think, in practices where uh, we have a practice manager who says this person needs to go and then it happens and the other employees are just incensed that this person got let go. So it's not necessarily a unanimous decision and people don't necessarily always see the same side of somebody. And I thought really interesting way that they put it is that they call these toxic employees conflict entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And that definition I think is really important because what they say is that these people inflame conflict for their own ends. So it's not just because they disagree with something. It's because they're looking for profit. They're, you know, a promotion or something like that. They're looking for attention. They're looking for power. And I think a huge one Is acceptance as well. So they're looking for, you know, they want to fit in. It does seem so counterintuitive that they would use conflict to try and get to this end, but uh, this is sort of their MO. The author says this is common in workplaces like hospitals, so practice type uh, Mm. environments, universities, political or advocacy organizations. And these people will recruit others to their cause. We've talked about this again. They'll tell persuasive, emotional stories about how they've been wronged. They start to spread doubt. They avoid having conversations. And they uh, undermine other people in the organization. So it's just, you can see that it's it's a pattern of behavior that's really harmful and can have such far-reaching effects.
1: I think I have a better term. I don't know if you've seen the show or if anybody who's listening has seen the show, Things We Do in the Shadow it's um new zealand it was a movie now it's a spinoff there and it's a comedy it's probably one of the funniest shows i've seen on tv ever and it's about three excuse me four vampires who are living in the modern world and they're absolutely inept and mm. you're just how do they even survive one character is a different type of vampire he's an energy vampire <laughs> and he gets yeah. fueled by boring people <laughs> And, and so they'll have seeds of him just like that person in the office that's just nattering on and just talking. And the more you can see the person getting bored and like, shoot me, I got to get out of the situation, the more you can just see like colors coming to his face and he's, he's getting happier and happier. So maybe we can call them conflict vampires. They yeah, just that's a great on one.
0: <laughs> okay, so next the article talks about what to do this is an interesting take on it. I don't know that I necessarily agree with all of what they say here. I'll talk about it here as we get to it. So the first thing they suggest is keeping your distance, which is obviously not always possible, particularly in a veterinary practice where everybody tends to work with everybody else. Uh, You know, you're not in a giant office building where you can avoid somebody. And they say that it's difficult to just confront these people head on. And I maybe I'll just put a pin in that. And we'll just talk about it here when they get to the ways that we can deal with it. So Mm -hmm. quickly identifying conflict entrepreneurs, obviously, somebody comes in to the company, people are always welcome to challenge things, or they should be welcome to challenge things to ask questions. But there's a way to go to do it, you know, as an adult professional, or at least just as an adult, at the very least. Obviously, there's a difference between sending out an all caps, all users email versus going through channels discreetly or respectfully, or, you know, following protocol that might be in place for bringing concerns forward. Identification of these people, they're quick to accuse other people, articulate new wrongs, nobody's even thought about before. And it it says to try not to demonize them once they're ID'd, which creates an us versus them scenario, uh, and is like the bread and butter of high conflict is that us versus them. And we need to try and cultivate compassion with these people. You don't know what they have going on. I do agree with that. I think that that's fine. Mm. Spending more time with them. So, listening, trying to understand, trying to make a connection. uh, And just like in difficult conversation training, try to appeal to something that you have in common or a common goal that you have for the business. Appeal to the part of them that isn't the conflict vampire, the conflict entrepreneur. Identifying common values and agreeing on what behaviors rules of engagement might look like that support the values that you have in common. And then they suggest to redirect these people's energy, so give them something productive to work on that they care about and that the practice cares about. So give them a choice and focus on the future. They suggest professional coaching, bring people together and have them make decisions together. And I you know, as we go through these this is to me is a little bit of avoidance on the, the part of management. Okay, we're identifying them, we're spending time with them and listening and trying to understand, et cetera. Et cetera. We're redirecting their energy. Uh, but we're not necessarily telling them what they're doing and mm. how it's affecting other people. And that's kind of where I have a little I'm a little bit itchy about these suggestions. But we'll talk about in the next article We'll talk about we'll talk about something more concrete. And I'm interested to see what you think as well. But the fourth suggestion that this HBR article has is to build guardrails. And this part I'm wholeheartedly on, on board with. So developing a culture of good conflict, uh, you know, where questions can be asked, an honest and respectful disagreement is encouraged, and everyone understands they have to behave civilly. You know, and they suggest creating rules of engagement, and the article has a nice list of them that really is basically how to have a difficult conversation. And I won't go through the entire list, but... Some of the su- suggestions are um, making sure you go to the person you have the problem with first, if you have a problem, instead of sort of going off and um, having a triangulation type conversation about it and do it in person or on the phone, never via written communication. Like, that's so valid because it's, it's so easy to take written communication mm-hmm. wrong. Ask lots of questions with genuine curiosity and any disagreement. Absolutely right. Find a mediator who can facilitate a harder conversation if need be. You know, it can be really difficult to just pull somebody aside one-on-one, particularly if you have a long history of conflict with them. But bring in a Switzerland to help you with that. And this is huge. Reward and demonstrate good conflict behavior publicly and often. Tell true stories about when this onboarding new employees. So, you know, tell them how you welcome people asking questions or challenging um, what the boss is saying and how, that had a positive outcome, uh, just so that the person knows that this is something that's okay here, something that's acceptable here. Another huge one, don't engage in back channel gossip or anonymous attacks. And I think that that gossip is something that we see so often. And it's not not even just from employees, it's from practice owners, it's from managers as well. And it's just so detrimental to what you're trying to do in the business. So, yeah, that is the HBR article. I think it was a great one. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like, what do you think about this idea of, it's hard to challenge these people to have a conversation. What do you think about that?
1: Uh, I think you've got to let them know. I think I'll be talking about an article where they say, you know, how do you know if you're a toxic mm. employee? And really, the hallmark is many people don't know they are. Yeah. And so by not saying anything to them, you're actually taking away for the opportunity for them to reflect and go, oh, I had no idea. I've I've got to get on this. Yeah. And, you know, management is tough and sometimes you got to do tough things. And I think you've you've got to let people know that their behavior is not appropriate and why and try to understand why and and find ways to address it. For sure. To me, that's just sort of like. Pushing a problem down for for later and later, and it it just escalates. So no, deal with it, nip it in the bud.
0: Exactly. So then uh, I found another HBR article. Uh, gotta love the well of the HBR. No kidding. On how to manage toxic employees. So I think these are a bit more concrete or courageous suggestions. The one crossover here is looking at why you know are they unhappy in their job? Are they struggling in their personal life? If there's a reason, then offer to help as far as you can, you know, obviously you're not getting into, you know, meddling in their personal life, but, you know, making sure they understand what support might be available for them. Or do they need a half day off for, you know, dealing with family matter or whatever, just offer to help them. And then number two is my favorite. So give them direct feedback. Like you said, toxic folks can be oblivious to the effect they have on others They're so focused on their own behaviors, their own wants and needs that they miss the broader impact they have. Using difficult conversation type methodology, clearly defining expectations and goals, and I think you know having that clearly defined, like, okay, well, what does progress in your behavior look like, and what is our goal, and is it time based? I think that's really important because you can have these conversations with people over and over, and the, the classic pattern is they're horrified, they're great for like two weeks, and then something happens, or they just slip back into the way that they were. And then you're having this conversation again and again, and it's exhausting, and it affects everybody else as well. So I think that it's so important to have expectations that are defined and that everybody understands. And I think this is great number three is pretty blunt. So explaining the consequences. And you know, what do they stand to lose if they don't improve? And it's not necessarily that they're going to get fired, they're going to lose their job. But is there something that's important to them that you might hold back if they don't improve? Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily just as like a, you know, if you don't eat your um, Brussels sprouts, you're not getting pie. It's more, is it, this person actually ready for the thing that they're striving for? So I think a classic one here is partnership. So many veterinarians, uh, or a decent number of veterinarians want to be partners in vet practices. And we don't necessarily ask them why or, you know, what is their motivation for being partners. But, you know, if you say, well, I can't see you moving and stepping into a partnership or a leadership position unless the, this behavior change changes, that can be something that can be a bit of a gut punch for them and a bit of a reality check. Mm. Uh, or it could be something smaller, like trusting them to work from home or letting them have a flexible schedule or something like that.
1: Or yeah. even just, I'm just thinking right now, veterinarians is CE opportunities. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. why should I invest in you until I see uh, you investing in in mending relationships with your coworkers.
0: That's an excellent point. And I think number four uh, is an interesting one. So accepting that some people won't change. And the researcher that's cited in this article, she did a, a ton of research on conflict in the workplace and the types of personalities that instigate conflict. And she found that about 4% of people actually find this kind of behavior fun. And they figure they can get away with it. So they do it. And, you know, they suggest recognize you're not going to fix this person and consider more serious responses, uh, which to me says, you know, terminating their employment. Absolutely. Um, But I I hadn't even occurred to me that some people just enjoy it, enjoy the conflict, enjoy, you know, spreading rumor, enjoy keeping people off off center. But it could explain why, you know, some people just won't uh, respond or won't take responsibility because they're like, well, what the heck? It's worked for me for this long and having a good time. So we're just going to keep doing it. Nothing ever happens. Uh, Document everything. Always, always. We talk about that all the time. You know, if you need to go down the road of letting this person go, you have to have excellent documentation. They talk about separating the toxic person physically from other team members. I think that's not really realistic in a vet practice necessarily.
1: It's not like you have the toxic room. Okay, bad employees yeah. in here. It's like, no. Exactly. We work so closely together. There's no separating. Yeah.
0: And really, I mean, it's a it's a slippery slope. You know, you can't cater to everyone's personality. I know I've had practice managers that we work with talk to me and be like, I'm pulling my hair out trying to schedule, especially during COVID when it was impossible to schedule anyway, but trying to schedule people so that personalities are taken care of is just to me, that's like a a major early warning system of the something's going on here if you know you have 10 people who can't work with various other people it's it's a problem for sure
1: and we've talked about this and before about you know when you have to terminate employment when you're spending so much energy on one person at the expense of numerous others i think our attention is somewhere we have it in the wrong place so
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of the the last suggestion that they make, you know, don't let it get you too distracted and let it take up too much of your time. You know, seek out the positive people because I, I know in HR in particular, and with us working with a number of practices, I mean, we're not always called in because people are super happy and they want to be happier. Often we're called in because there's a toxic situation or there's a serious internal structural situation going on a personality conflict or whatever the case may be. and it can get you down. Like if all you're dealing with is crap all day long, then you could be like, "Why am I even bothering to do this? This is not doing anything for me." So, you know, remembering to seek out positive people and remind yourself of the meaning and purpose of your work. You know, remind yourself of the triumphs that you had, or the the people that have changed, or you know, the feedback that you might have got that's really positive that really keeps you going. And they also make say to make sure you take breaks and take your vacations if you have them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that those are kind of like a little more concrete than having people get together and decide what their shared values are, et cetera, et cetera, which I don't think is a bad thing, but it's just maybe not all that practical when we're trying to um, get things done.
1: So I'm sure there's people listening to this and going, am I one of those? (laughs) Am I a toxic employee? So yeah, there's another article. There's not a lot we need to spend on it because you've covered a lot of it, but they really, in terms of what are some of the common things that you may look at about yourself and how you interact? And some of these really resonate with me. So number one problem, you seem cold. I am very introverted. And I don't know, it's maybe it's my stoic Canadian face. I'm not a big smiler in group situations. And I've had people come up to me at group events. And I'm even younger in university at parties whenever it's like, looks like you're having a miserable time. I'm like, actually, I'm really enjoying myself. And it's like, I guess I have, arresting bitch yeah. face plus yeah. inscrutable is polite so you know solution turn up the warmth a uh, quotient and, and you know make a conscious attempt to pay attention to other people make mm-hmm. eye contact hold it smile we've talked about this before just smiling more really sends a lot to people it's, it's hard when we're wearing masks yeah. right now but
0: you know, we can smile with smile. our eyes yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs>
1: yeah. Smise. So even though I know inherently and by my default face expression is cold and passive, I'll go with inscrutable, (laughs) you realize that's the effect I'm having on people. So I guess this comes down to, hey, if you're not going to tell somebody that they're a toxic employee or they're giving this impression, you're not giving them the opportunity to... Be better, right? And it's rare for us, especially in our busy world right now, to to have the time to be. Let's be self introspective and go. Am I a toxic employee? We don't really think about that until somebody brings it to our attention, right? The other one is you seem selfish. You know, you work your butt off. I do more than other people. I do it better, and it maybe that's true. But you know, think of the other people. What's going on in their lives? You mentioned that before. We don't know what's going on in other people's lives. So again, it's just. You could be a narcissist, and that's one thing. And that's just a whole other psychological disorder we're not going to get into. But if you, you know, if you are worried that you are working harder, you know, maybe it's not with the other people. It's maybe it's management Mm -hmm. and how they're allowing other people to do it. But also the classic advice that always works so well. Stand in the shoes of the other people, understand where they're coming from. Yeah. And then this is again coming back to people think you as that sort of like that rule monster. You're there wagging your finger all the time, correcting people. And I look at this from the point of view as a veterinarian, and there's a good reason why veterinarians, technicians, why we we follow rules, because the consequences when we don't can be catastrophic. You know, when we're doing a spay on a dog or a cat, if we don't do it well and if we don't follow procedures, horrible outcomes. But I think what happens is, they have a great line is, These people cling to rules no matter what, Mm -hmm. and it becomes more than, okay, this is good aseptic technique, this is good surgical technique, this is whatever, everything in their lives become these rules. It becomes a consequence of just the minimum that we have to do as veterinarians or working in a veterinary practice. And I think sometimes you just got to let go when things are not critical to the, the job. I think a lot of veterinarians uh, we like being focused on the rules, and I think this is an area where we just, when it's identified as you know what you're kind of that you know rule person all the time, is to accept it and go you know what there's a place for rules and there's a place where we can have a bit more leniency.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think it's incumbent on the management or leadership to make sure that people understand. I think this is particularly relevant for like customer service rules. So, you know, yes. okay, well, we don't discount things. And I know you do this in your own practice. We're not discounting willy-nilly. Things cost what they cost. There's a reason. Uh, but you do give your customer service representatives leniency to discount a call fee if a client has been inconvenienced or something like that, you know, an ambulatory equine practice. And I think something like that, I mean, to the company doesn't take in that 50 or $60 or whatever it is, but the CSR sees that they have that power, that autonomy to make those decisions i think that's an excellent example of okay well the rules are there but let's think about this like the reasonableness test but i do see especially with veterinarians uh how hard it can be to sort of differentiate between a rule that can be bent and a rule that's hard and fast especially when you know if there are younger vets who just got out of school and like rules have ruled their lives for the past you know five years
1: i was just going to bring that up because you know we see young vets or those that have done internships and they have really strict constraints around them Mm -hmm. and one of the things that i work with are younger vets and it takes them a while to gain the trust because they're petrified of making a mistake because in the past when they've made a mistake as we said bad things have happened whether it's patient outcomes or a supervisor uh, freaking out on them uh letting people know that mistakes are inevitable we're allowed to make mistakes. We learn from mistakes. We don't want to repeat mistakes, and it takes people time uh, because they need to have made the mistakes and realize the consequences aren't necessarily dire, and then they get more comfortable with it. So, it's something I think you can do, we can develop. I just think, particularly with the with the medical profession, we're so cognizant of screwing up. So mm-hmm. it's a process anyway. So that is in a nutshell. <laughs> working with identifying managing knowing you are one uh, a toxic employee
0: yeah love it
1: so i think what we'll probably do in one of our upcoming uh our podcasts is talk about what happens if the boss is like that
0: yeah that's uh, a or just one.
1: bad behaving bosses i think that's i think a good su- subject anyway for sure so let's talk about productivity hacks we haven't done that for a while so what do you have
0: Yeah, so it was I was really brainstorming for this one today. And then I realized that we hadn't talked about something that we use. So it's sort of ubiquitous with, uh, you know, for us for the last few years. And that's using Slack. So if people aren't familiar, Slack is a seems simple to call it a messaging app. But basically, um, what it does is You can get your whole team on slack you can use it on a desktop you can use it on a a portable device like a cell phone and it's a way that people can connect with each other and it's just i think the beauty of slack is that you can have all these different channels so you can talk to somebody privately one-on-one or you can have channels that you know are just about what's happening with the pharmacy or if you're multi-location just for a specific location and you can make these channels private you can make them public But it's just a really nice way to communicate with people. And it doesn't have the urgency of like a text message. Uh, You know, I know some of the practice we talk to, they're like, oh, we love text messaging, but we're trying to get people into work life balance, a text, for me, anyway, when I get a text, I'm like, I have to reply to this right now. Whereas with a slack, you can mute uh, notifications during certain time periods, so you don't get them after hours. And you can tell your team that you don't have the expectation that they reply to things unless it's, you know, if it's an urgent plea for something that might be different, but uh, it's just a really nice way to to keep track of the team. And there are all these integrations that go into it. You can schedule Zoom calls right from it. Uh, You can insert GIFs into it really easily if you want to do that. It's just uh, a really nice way to have really quick and easy communication with your team. And also depending on the plan that you got, I mean, the free version is decent. If you do the paid plan, then all these conversations get saved sort of forevermore. So if you need to go back, uh, you can do that you can attach articles, uh, you can attach links. So it's sort of a nice resource that way. So yes, slack.
1: I love, as opposed to the text functions, I love the search Mm. aspect. I've gone back like three, four years and found a conversation or a piece of information that I just didn't have. So the search function is amazing, which you wouldn't get in a text messaging system. No.
0: And they're always improving things. You know, you can have a status. If you're in a meeting, you can hook it up to your Google calendar, your Outlook calendar. So it automatically in Slack shows that you're in a meeting. Yeah. Uh, it's just really nifty. Uh, it does a lot of really cool stuff. So I would suggest folks check it out. Absolutely. For, you know, their hospitals or whatever.
1: So I'm a bit more old school mixed with some high tech. So okay. recently, oh, a few months ago, I guess I got an, uh, I watch uh, six and I don't, you know, I don't even need to say that what model it is, it's just that it really does a great job tracking your sleep. and. Especially with COVID, you know, you get into, you know, chilling with Netflix and you get down to YouTube rabbit holes and you look up, you're like, oh crap, I got to get up in six hours. And uh, what the watch is able to do is that you set an alarm, it reminds you when it's a half an hour before your desired bedtime is. And then it wakes you up in the morning, but then it tells you how many hours you slept in the night, when you had deep sleep, when you had light sleep. The reason why I like it for productivity is I was able to start looking at it after a while and say, you know what, I can live, I don't love it, but I can live on six to six to seven hours sleep. And then you start looking at, well, what did I do in a day versus how did I sleep the night before? And I soon realized I suck if I get less than seven oh, yeah. hours sleep. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm not as good as I think I am. And I think we can always fool ourselves. Like, I don't need sleep. I'm, you know, now I need like, give me eight hours. And when I look at it, when I say what I've had eight hours and I look what I've accomplished that day, there's a direct correlation and causation. So you know what? Sleep is great. And so uh, I'm finding that I'm going to bed earlier. I'm waking up earlier. I'm a morning person, so I'm more productive in the morning. So Mm -hmm. that to me has been a great revelation. Cool. All right. Well, hey, thanks, Katie. We will be back in a couple of weeks. And in the meantime... if you have any questions or a subject you'd like us to chat about send it to us all the usual contact channels facebook instagram email info at oculusinsights.net and uh, please uh, give us a rating to the podcast on whatever platform you're finding us Keep keep safe everybody at oculus insights we care a lot about animals but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.